1: Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaron. More importantly, I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the podcast, Dr. Daniel Soares of Eaton College, on a brand new Fordham University Press publication called The World and God Are Not Two: A Hindu-Christian Conversation. Daniel, welcome back to the podcast.
0: Hi, Raj. Thanks again for having me.
1: A Hindu-Christian Conversation. Maybe... Pan out maybe thirty thousand foot view. Um, why is that important to you? Is that is that a, a guiding principle of your work? Is it something you've always been interested in? what, what is it about the, the, the dialogue between these overarching traditions that, that appeals to you?
0: No, I think actually it's it's something I've become more interested in um, over the course of time, and I think actually um, it. It started for me, really, with with quite a sort of um, zoom in moment. And it was reading a, a short text, uh, the one really which, which sort of motivated my book, um, called Towards an Alternative Theology, Confessions of a Non-Dualist Christian. And I remember just being really fascinated by the title of this little work. Um, and it was written by a Roman Catholic called Sarah Grant. Who lived in India during the 20th century? Um, and she it's it's autobiographical, really. And she talks in there about her encounter with Hinduism. Um and it, yeah, it was reading that um some years ago that really got me interested in the in the conversation between the two traditions. Um and then so I sort of fanned out from there really.
1: So could you say a word about this particular project? What inspired this particular project? Would you say?
0: Yeah, so it was it was really the question after I'd read her book um of whether and to what extent it was possible to be a non-dualist Christian um or a an Advaitic Christian. Um and and if so, what that language and what that what that metaphysical picture would mean for Christian doctrines like the doctrine of creation, um the doctrine of um salvation, what it would mean for Christology uh, and incarnation and so on. Um so it was it was really this this quite particular Hindu tradition I, I, I suppose as opposed to sort of Hinduism um you know en masse. Um and then her I suppose her um approach then led me on to you know other well known figures in the field like um Frank Looney and others. Um And and they're sort of small experiments with reading text
1: side by side. So if one were to ask you, perhaps um, around a a dinner table somewhere in a public talk, you know, um, uh, to my recollection, to the best of my knowledge, uh, uh, Dr. Soares, um, God creates the world. The world is created by God. God lies beyond the world. Uh, He's laid down the law, so to speak. Uh, and uh, there'll be a time when, when he'll return, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and there seems to be a palpable sense of distinguish, uh, a distinction between uh, the divine in this context and the world. Uh, what would your way in be to respond to that? How would you respond to that?
0: Yeah, so I think my argument really throughout the book is that it's true to say that there is a distinction between what we mean by God and what we mean by the world. Um, So I'm not arguing for a straightforward sort of pantheism and nor I don't think are any of the um, figures and texts that I engage with in the book. Um, But then I want to try to sort of bring out clearly that it's not the same kind of distinction as we get within the world between two different sorts of things, Um, you know, in, in the sense that I could compare and contrast the The book and the computer on my table because they're both different examples of the same sorts of things and so um throughout the book what i try to stress is that we've got to remember that god is um uniquely unlike anything else in the world if if god is to be what we want god to be um, which is the source and the creator of all things god can't be one of those things and therefore there is a distinction in the sense that God is not one of those created things, but it's not the kind of distinction that's helpfully pictured, I suppose, as a, as a sort of, um, you know, I use the image somewhere in the book of, of two realities sort of pulling at the end of the same rope. It's, it's not that sort of tug of war type distinction. Um, and I think once we've got that clear that God isn't competing for, for kind of metaphysical space with the creature to my mind, at least that helps to dissolve quite a lot of, um, otherwise potentially confusing areas of, um, of, of religious belief, uh, but not least in Christianity, whether it's, um, you know, sort of distinctions that might be set up between nature and grace or between divine power and creaturely freedom, um, you know or, or for that matter the specifically Christian doctrine of there being two natures in one person you know my my argument really is that that would be straightforwardly contradictory if if it was akin to saying that someone was you know um totally human and totally canine that just wouldn't really make sense because we're comparing two tokens of the same kind of thing um and the only way it can make sense to say that someone was fully god and fully man i think is if we remember this uh what Catherine tanner talks about this non-contrastive um mode of discourse when it comes to god in the world
1: in your introduction uh you have a uh section that's titled uh which i think is a great question so i'll just um i'll, I'll just read the, the title of that section why ask a question about non-dualism and christianity at all and why ask it now
0: yeah so um i, I suppose why ask it now i mean I suppose my my sense um over, over the last I suppose few years is that certainly at a sort of popular Christian level, there seems to have been an increased interest in um in I suppose modes of Christian spirituality that draw on um the, the mystical or the contemplative traditions and and really trying to sort of uncover those traditions within Um, Christianity, whether it's the Church Fathers or the sort of medieval mystics. Uh, And I'm thinking about, I suppose, kind of popular Christian figures like Richard Rohr or or Lawrence Freeman. Um, And that, I suppose, combined with a heightened awareness of the importance of the environment and our relationship with it. Um, I suppose all of these sorts of things made it feel like a sort of fertile area for 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 rethinking this idea of the relationship between God and the world. Um, why why ask it at all, though? I think it kind of, notwithstanding the the you know the argument for it being topical at the moment, I think. The reason why I ask it at all is because I, I agree with the sorts of figures I looked at early on, like David Burrell and Robert Sokolowski, that, that actually the way you picture the relation between the world and God, which is really what I mean by non-dualism, that, that it's best not to picture them as two different sorts of things, um, sort of standing next to each other, that the way you picture that relation then provides the canvas, I think, for the whole rest of your theology. Um that that is the sort of foundational issue which will determine how you then go on to understand um, it, sort of everything else, really, where, where, You know, whether it's the way you understand the human person or the way you understand sin and salvation or the church. It, I think it all goes back to that original picture of how God and the world are related.
1: And is it fair to say that this thrust, uh, this line of thought that you lay out in the book, uh, is it fair to say it goes against the grain of... Uh, christian theological traditions historically
0: well i mean i think it perhaps sounds like it does um and and i mean the title of the book was deliberately a little bit um provocative i suppose um you know i mean i i a, a friend who's not a theologian said to me why didn't you just call it the world and god are one um why this sort of convoluted phrase not two and obviously part of that was to pick up on the on the hindu advaita tradition um but it was also because, you know, as I've been saying, I, I don't think it is true to say that um, the world and God are one. If, if by that we mean one and the same thing, um, and in fact, I it, I got to a sort of funny point in the book where I thought the more I argue for a a, a convergence between um, non-dualism in in the Advaita traditions and Christianity, the more It sort of ironically, I undercut the point of the argument, because if 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 the conclusion is that they're saying the same thing, then it would seem like a pretty sort of scenic detour to go all the way around um, the Hindu traditions. If if what I'm saying is, well, actually, figures like um, Augustine and uh, Pseudo Dionysius and Aquinas were, were already saying this. I think in spirit, I, I I think they were saying this. I mean, my, my argument is that that actually understood rightly, that the, the 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 Advaita tradition in Hinduism isn't really saying anything that the classical doctrine of creation in Christianity isn't also saying. Um figures like Aquinas would use the language of dependence and contingency. Um, and of course Shankara uses different sorts of language and different sorts of imageries um but no in short i my if i'm right then i don't think this does cut against the grain of of christian thinking um maybe maybe just against the grain of a certain sort of image which i think is is kind of persistent maybe at a popular level if not an academic level uh in christianity of of thinking of of the world and god as as two things existing. um you know in opposition
1: so then is it a question of applying the lens of advaita vedanta to christian theology is it a question of um observing that um shankara uh shankara's vision of reality uh aligns with uh that of the great christian theologians you know tease uh, tease out a bit the relationship between tradition as you see it or at least as you argued it in the book
0: yeah so um i mean i was i was obviously building on the back of standing on the shoulders of people who'd gone before really and sarah grant in her work um follows in a in a line of um mainly jesuit christian thinkers um who have argued for a i suppose a sort of realist reading of shankara so um, following on from people like Richard de Smet um, and even earlier um, Indian figures like Upadhyay, that you know it would be it would quite apart from the comparison with Christianity that just to take by on its own terms, it would be a misreading to read it as um, <clears throat> some sort of idealist um, philosophy in which the world is is some sort of hallucination or and and she wants to emphasise, along with Desmet and others, that as long as we're sensitive to the perspective um, a, 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 an Advaitic text or verse or thinker is coming from, and this this distinction between the the empirical um, level at which you know we certainly see a world which is is physical and and changes and so on and the transcendental level where the world is not other than brahman her argument is that in, in fact that's that's pretty similar to what aquinas was saying about the 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 asymmetric relation between the world and god um that the world depends on god but not the other way around um and so i that's really the springboard for my argument that i i i think you know she's she's right about that um and then and then i sort of Tried to develop that by looking at different specific areas where Shankar and Aquinas might be able to um, sort of come into conversation with each other.
1: Hmm. Fascinating. Do you want to walk us through the structure of the book?
0: Yeah. So it, um, the the I suppose the middle chapter, as it as it were, is the is the um, sort of center around which it it revolves. So that's. That's the chapter where I look at Sarah Grant's work um, on Shankara, and in, in particular, the work that she did on, on his concept of relation and the, the the different sort of Sanskrit terms that he uses for relation. And she focuses in particular on this term, Tadatmya, that, that the world has um, Brahman as itself, um, as its core. So that third chapter is... Um, yeah, is, is, I suppose, where I started in terms of my my thinking and my interest. Um, so I realized that I had to sort of pull back um, to set the context for that really to make any sense. So the first chapter is really set in the Christian context for, for the, you know, why the question of the relation between the world and God is an interesting one. And how that's been dealt with in Christian theology, particularly in the work of David Burrell. Um, and the reason I was interested in him is because, having read and enjoyed his work for many years, it was it was really only um, once I stumbled across this little book by Sarah Grant that I noticed uh, more and more in in his articles and his chapters, there would be a little footnote somewhere um in in the context of his conversations which were mainly abrahamic where he would say and it you know it it's worth looking at sarah grant's work on advaita um for a, for a you know a, a different way of looking at these issues so chapter one was really about Burrell and the christian tradition chapter two then i look at the the history of um i suppose christian and mainly Roman Catholic interaction with Advaita in India. So looking at the Calcutta school, um and figures like uh Desmet and and how that that provided the background for uh, Grant. And then four at chapter four and five is where I really sort of uh, go on and try and develop um sort of beyond Grant. Um so in chapter four I look at the the doctrine of creation ex nihilo or the creation from nothingness in christianity um, and the concept of satkaryavada in advaita the idea that the an effect is always latent in its cause um, and try to through a sort of careful reading of Shankara and aquinas argue that again on the surface that looks like the same almost the opposite that that aquinas wants to say that god creates the world from nothing and um advaita wants to say that the world somehow emerges from brahman um so in that chapter i argue that actually ex nihilo the more you sort of unpick it, it only sounds like the opposite of what shankara is saying if if you sort of mistakenly start to picture the nihilo the the nihil as if it's some sort of something out of which God's creating the world. Um, if if we really take seriously the idea that God creates from nothingness, then my, my, to sort of make a long story short, my argument is that that comes to the same as saying that God creates out of God. Um, and then in the yeah in the fifth and final chapter, I look at this question of how real is the world. So I, I, I take the, the sort of Advaitic question of, The reality of the world and turn that back on christianity and i think that's a question that's not often asked quite in that way in christian theology um and i think that's perhaps because of the sort of argumentative structure um that the the upanishads and the um commentators tend to start with brahman and then try to explain how you end up with what seems to be a a separate physical world Whereas the scholastic tradition of Aquinas and so on seems to do the, go the other way around and start with the world um, as it's as it's sort of unquestioned evidence, as it were, and then reason back to God. And I think that's probably why there's never quite been that way of looking at the issue of how real is the world. Um, but in fact, I yeah, I argue in that chapter that if pushed, figures like Augustine and Aquinas would be happy to agree with shankara that the world is less real than god um you know if by real we we are thinking of criteria like um um you know independent eternal unchanging etc
1: perhaps that uh, divergence or distinction um might be a result of the um the fundamentally distinct ways in which these traditions overarchingly conceive of the locus of the divine with respect to uh, whether you know uh, brahmin is the atman it's it's within all of us Mm -hmm. versus the divine being completely or or conceived as typically separate from even the the eternal soul and perhaps that distinction is why there are different starting places in terms of the world you know the problem of the world
0: yeah i think that's also true yeah
1: so um what do you what do you most hope folks would take away from this book uh
0: well I suppose on a on a sort of um kind of competitive level um I suppose I hope that the book would would appeal to a variety of audiences so I, I suppose I hope on the one hand it will appeal to um people interested in Hindu Christian comparative work um and that this is kind of one small drop in that ocean um you know that's populated by other comparativists um and that here there's a particular focus on creation there's a particular focus on um sarah grant who i think is is someone who is worthy of of being better known from a sort of christian theological point of view um I suppose I hope that Christian theologians who are not necessarily immersed in comparative work would still see that there's there's something interesting here, and I suppose to to put it simply, it would be um, it it would be to sort of um, just remind ourselves, that, and because I, I you know I'm conscious that when when we're thinking about figures like you know Boethius and Augustine and Anselm and Aquinas. It would be a straw man to say that that they had in their heads uh, a sort of dualistic um, God plus world picture. But I I do think that persists um, I do think that persists in in certain sort of ways of picture in the distinction between the world and God in in Christian writings. And I think above all it comes through every time we think of God as a sort of interventionist, god the sort of god um whether it's whether we're thinking about sacraments whether we're thinking about grace whether we're thinking about the incarnation whether we're thinking about miracles that somehow intervenes um occasionally and for for you know reasons best known to god in an order which otherwise god is outside of or somehow separate from um, and what one of my sort of favorite lines from something that Herbert McCabe wrote in in his um book, God Matters was that God can't intervene in the world, and it's not because he says God doesn't have enough power it's as it were, God has too much um you can only intervene in something that you're not already part of um and so I just don't think it it makes sense to picture god as some sort of reality that that you know as i say whether it's by means of the language of grace or miracles or whatever it might be intervenes in 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 the world um and to me that picture just creates far more problems than than it solves um i mean the problem of evil being being the obvious one um and I would say if we can be sort of brave enough to drop that idea of an interventionist God, we don't actually lose anything. I mean, I think that the fear would be we, you know, we 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 lose a sense of then a God who can respond to our prayers or um a God who um cares about what's going on in the world. I suppose to me it's it's the opposite. I think if we can drop that idea of God as some sort of separate entity who occasionally um intervenes in the world order we remind ourselves of what the the great figures in the tradition have always said like Augustine that that or, or you know or Saint Paul that God is always the reality in which I live and move and have my being and that God is is you know as Augustus said to myself so not the kind of reality that occasionally sort of zaps us with with Grace or power or whatever it might be but but the reality in which I'm always immersed.
1: Well, indeed, there there certainly seems to be a tension at play uh between I mean this pervasive idea that that the divine is uh, beyond creation and has intervened a handful of times, even the very notion of the term theophan, etc. etc. This is a pervasive uh notion and unsurprisingly given the narratives of the divine that we find in 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 in, in the most sacred um uh, christian judeo christian texts and yet of course uh the movers and shakers the mystics and uh, the philosophers and people with extraordinary inner lives they they perceive things arguably differently than the average bear <laughs> or we, we muggles uh and so there does seem to be this tension because the, the pervasive idea um of a divine that's transcendent to the world that seems to seems to be fairly compatible with the earliest and perhaps most sacred narratives of of the divine and yet it, these exegetes these, these philosophers can be read a number of ways and they they seem to have a much more intimate relationship with the divine and god certainly does seem to be much more imminent uh, in their in their reckoning so it is a fascinating tension, and so would you say? Well, I'll circle back to this this notion that we touched on earlier in the podcast. So, would you say that we are looking at uh, Advaita thought to be Lumen Christian theology? Do we think? Would you say to an extent we are looking at Advaita through the lens of Christian theology? Um, just to tease that out a little bit more, what would you say?
0: Yeah. So, so I would. I... I would like to think that um, um, it's it's sort of clear enough, um, certainly in the work of Grant, that she looks at the Advaita tradition on its own terms um before um before venturing to make any sort of comparisons or, or comparative comments. Um and, and that, that then, yeah, that, that then comes to illumine, as you said, the Christian tradition and, and sort of reminds us of what Um, various you know figures as you said particularly we we might think of the sort of mystical figures um, have always been sort of saying in the christian tradition i think what's slightly unusual about her work is that she she focuses on thomas aquinas who i suppose wouldn't be perhaps everybody's first sort of go-to example of of a mystic in the tradition um maybe because of the the sort of you know, highly stylized way in which he writes and, and, um, and yet I think she's right that there's a, there's a clear apathetic dimension to Aquinas' work. Um, You know, after all, I mean, Bernard McGinn talks about mysticism really as, as just the sort of um, the experiential awareness of the presence of God and, and the seeking for a deeper awareness of that, that reality. And hence that's something which is part and parcel of of anybody's um spirituality, I would think, whether they're Christian or Hindu. Um,
1: yeah. Fascinating. Say a, a quick word about the comparative enterprise. Let's pan out a little bit. You talked about Sarah Grant's approach of looking at it on her own, on its own terms and then venturing um uh, the sort of comparison. Could you say a word about the comparative enterprise? You know, sort of. Maybe your personal philosophy or methodology, or perhaps the the potential pitfalls and perils. You know, talk a little bit about comparative religion
0: and theology. I suppose my my sort of personal approach to would it it it, is that it would be it would be nice if we got to a point where um, in theology faculties it wasn't considered sort of um, you know either a sort of interesting add on to. Uh, to the mainstream of of biblical theology or philosophical theology or or whatever it might be um, or or as some sort of you know slightly sort of um peculiar interest that that someone might have let alone that it it gets kind of put in a sort of world religions um category um and, and my argument would you know would simply be that you know christianity and other traditions have have always grown and developed in conversation with traditions which are are not them as it were so whether it was christian conversations with judaism uh or with greek philosophy um or medieval conversations with um with you know muslim thinkers there's nothing particularly radical or unusual um, about the comparative enterprise um, i mean the, the, i suppose that the ways in which it's it's been done over the last sort of 10 20 years by um you know by people like frank clooney have, have perhaps been more explicitly self aware of what was going on um, and of course in you know in his work in particular kind of um very, very overtly moving away from trying to make you know sort of grand narrative comparisons between whole traditions um but you know aquinas was doing this um in the 13th century um the church fathers were doing this with as i say their greek sources with um platonism and so on so um yeah i I suppose my my hope would be that that theologians see this as part and parcel of systematic theology um to engage with voices from from outside the tradition although even that phrase makes it sound as though the tradition is more sort of impermeable than, than than religious traditions are in fact
1: uh indeed i mean i think uh common conceptions of history historical realities uh, i think um misconceived them as more insular i think there was there's been t- clearly there's been tons of cross-pollination there have always been adventurers and philosophers and seekers and wanderers and it has been all kinds of people who have gone to various places and exchanged ideas you know forever and so um ooh, well i encounter again and again this this notion or this this this, this um ascription of uh, a tradition historically as being sort of insular and linear and and it's only now and so it's only now in the modern world, since you the invention of airplanes that people are moving around and exchanging ideas. And I think conversation is something that's always had to happen on some level. and I think that in these times more than ever before, mm-hmm. as uh, we've never been so uh, so um, had so much access to and or been inundated by the traditions and beliefs and thoughts and opinions of, of others uh, uh, globally and so it's never a bad idea to think of uh way uh, think of avenues of meaningful conversation to my mind um, mm. what do you, what next is this work that you hope to continue
0: um yes uh there there's there's a few sort of um semi-related things that i'm interested in working on at the moment so there's a tradition known as grammatical tomism um or or it's an approach uh, probably more than a a tradition but an approach to aquinas which focuses on uh in particular the way he uses language about god um so it's you you see this again in in the work of people like david burrell um brian davis um fergus kerr and others where they they're, they're really looking um i suppose they they the the content is aquinas and then the method is wittgenstein really to to sort of look at the idea of how aquinas uses uh, language about god um in order to to sort of clarify what sorts of things we can and can't say about god so in in a sort of grammatical way to to accept aquinas's apophatic um is sort of um starting point that he can't know the nature of God and yet nevertheless we we can um we do know how we use that term in his five ways for example we do we do understand what people mean when they when they talk about God and that there's certain ways we 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 sort of can and can't use the term which tell us um something about what it is we're talking about um more comparatively I, i'm interested at, at the moment especially in the theme of uh lila uh, and divine play um and so that sort of that develops on from my interest in creation but specifically the 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 idea in in the sanskrit traditions of uh of creation as playfulness as uh, as a sort of unnecess- unnecessary sort of um overflowing of of um um creativity and um so i'm interested in in that that motif of lila um and w- well yeah I, i'll I'll stop there there's various various other ideas
1: uh, no shortage of ideas it seems i can't uh resist asking before we close um just on what you just said do you see a parallel do you see a theological parallel between the the, the Indian concept of lila and and christian theology
0: yes yeah, so i'm still um well playing around with with these ideas but You're still
1: um, having fun, having fun with Lila, are you
0: ex- exactly <laughs> i mean um i suppose um yeah the, the, there's there's a i think a few parallels i think again going back to the idea of creation um in someone like aquinas as um as as the as a gracious act as opposed to a, a, a necessary or compelled part of what it means to be God. Um, so Leela and grace. Um, and and then it, on a sort of more, I suppose, microcosmic scale, the, all sorts, I think, of interesting comparisons between the the Leela dances and, and sort of imagery around um, Krishna and so on. Um, and and the importance of dance and music in the Christian traditions, um, particularly in in sort of medieval um, cathedral dances and this sort of thing. Um, I think the 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 notion of Leela as a sort of creative force and the, and the the biblical concept of Sophia. Um, so the the idea that wisdom plays before god in creation um i think is an interesting one so yeah a few loosely connected ideas
1: one more question if you don't mind as you're speaking which comes to mind um is it such that clearly you're, you're you're a christian theologian is it such that you you you've always seen a need for clarification intervention in christian theology and You came across the work of Sarah Grant, et cetera, and that sort of provided fodder for that um, clarification, perhaps even intervention, or is it such that um, upon coming across this work, uh, you realized that perhaps was uh, a need for um, this sort of intervention or clarification that you offer in the book? Which came first? Well, to be
0: honest, I think for me personally, what came first was an interest in um, I suppose what what people tend to call the theology of religions. So I think I've always been interested in that question of how um, you know how I as a practicing Christian theologian account for the 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 existence and the the value and um of of, of the traditions, particularly when they seem to be saying things that are quite different. Um, and so I, I suppose. Yeah, I sort of had a phase of being very interested in, you know, the work of people like Hick and um and, and Nitta and and so on on, on the theology of religions. Um, um, John to and Il not long ago wrote a, a really fascinating book about this um, called Circle in the Elephant. And I do still find that those sorts of questions interesting, but I suppose the... The, the more I um the more I sort of thought and read about that the more I thought well actually I just want to know more about um about other traditions not not just how to think about them in the abstract um and I think Hinduism found me more than the other way around I, there's no no particular biographical reason why I would have been drawn to India or Hinduism and um yeah I mean it it, it sounds a little bit sort of melodramatic, but I think it, it was reading that book and and b- b- just sort of being invited to think about Christian doctrines in, 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 in a different way. And and then, yeah, the, the more I sort of found out about um, Christianity in India, the more I became interested in the different ways um, Christian spirituality has been influenced by its encounters uh, with Hinduism and um yeah i think it's sort of endlessly fascinating really
1: fascinating well thank you very much for being on the podcast today
0: thank you for the invitation it's been a
1: pleasure ah, pleasure was mine so uh for those listening of course we've been speaking with dr daniel soars on the world and god or not to a uh, hindu christian conversation until next time keep well keep listening and you know keep contemplating uh various theological visions and whether or not they are um compatible. Bye for now.